Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Before I introduce our speaker, I'll just remind you that this series is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National World Network and Food Drink Ireland's Gillnet. So today we're going to be talking and taking a more practical look at how farmers can save money and benefit uh, the environment at the same time. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Seamus Carney, who's Training and Development Specialist with the Signpost Programme. And Seamus, you're going to be talking to us about fertilizer programs, save money, and emissions on dairy and dry stock farms. Good morning to you. Good morning, Mark. Yeah, look, I suppose looking at the practical applications, uh, and I suppose the one good thing with, with fertilizer is uh, the more environmentally type fertilizers can actually save the farmer money as well. So just looking at a practical application, I suppose the big one as well, Mark, where it fits into the national policy, the importance of fertilizer type and usage going forward. Um, maybe, Shane, as you could tell us a little bit about the work that you're specifically doing within the, the Signpost programme. I think most people are aware of the Signpost programme itself, uh, but maybe just to, to share with us the, the type of work that you're doing. Yeah, um, look, I suppose the Signpost programme, Mark, it, look, we, we have a kind of 115 flagship farms really around the country we're trying to implement best use technologies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and improve profitability. Uh, and so my role as part of the programme, Mark, is to help train the farmers, train our Chagas advisors, our private advisors, and all our industry partners in relation to a, a lower emission, uh, more climate-friendly future, I suppose, for farming. So that's where I fit into the programme, Mark, as a training and development uh, specialist uh, within the Signpost programme with Chagas. And how how is your work being received by industry and farmers? Yeah, uh, I, I suppose as a programme, Mark, the amount of enthusiasm and um, I, I suppose uh, goodwill towards the programme is, is incredible, really, that everyone wants to play their part. And look, I suppose a lot of technologies we're, we're selling, Mark, are probably technologies that are there for a long time, but we need to repackage them and refocus and I suppose re-energise. And look, really, I suppose you, you couldn't praise the farmers, the industry and the advisors enough for coming on board. And I think we're really seeing a big shift. It's, it's like chipping away at an iceberg. Uh, it's really starting to take effect as, as time goes on. Great. Well, it's you know it's great to see that enthusiasm out there. Um, so look, what I think we'll do is get straight into the presentation, and you're going to be eating some elephants for us now. In a minute I am. I'm, I'm the elephant back again, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been chipping at icebergs now and elephants. Let's yeah, be careful. Yeah. The icebergs are part of climate change. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be careful with our our our, our, our analogies. Yeah. Our so look, I, I suppose the, the the heading I suppose I want to cover this more is the fertilizer programs. Uh, to actually save money and emissions on dairy and dry stock farms. And look, I suppose that the bigger issue is, um, I suppose maybe what I want to cover on my presentation is, where does the actual quantity of fertilizer we use and the type of fertilizer we use fit into the bigger picture from a national policy point of view? Uh, I want to have a look in briefly of how we maybe think about fertilizers from a emissions or a kind of a ratings point of view. And what I want to do this morning is save the average dairy farmer €5,000 for 2022, and the average dry stock uh, farmer between one and two and a half thousand for 2022. And we want to have a look at an action plan that we can all, as industry, uh, people involved in the agricultural industry, can help our farmers to, to head on the path towards a, a lower emission future for 2022. So as Mark said, the elephant, uh, this is one I've used in the, the last time I spoke to you in, in, in uh, November uh, last year. And like agriculture has a massive target of 22 to 30%. It's a very challenging target that we have to hit by 2030. But look, I suppose we can get a bit overwhelmed at times. So it's like eating an elephant, I suppose. How do you eat an elephant? I suppose it's, it's one bite at a time. 
So look, the bite I want to concentrate on this morning is the fertilizer bite and how that has implications to our national policy, but also bringing it down to what individual farmers, individual actions they can take to help us on a national picture and save themselves money in their own pocket as well. And I suppose to lead on to that, uh, we, we look at the roadmap, the Chagas roadmap to uh, um, reducing our emissions. Uh, for 2018, we were at 23 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent. Uh, and for 2030, we have to reduce as an industry down to about 16 to 18 million tonnes. And really how that is going to play out is we have existing technologies uh, for about 2 million tonnes. And, and really that's the Chagas Mac, which I'll just cover in, in, in a little bit more detail now in a few minutes. And really, if we can implement these technologies, that gets us to 2025. Uh, after that, then we're depending on, on, on almost ready technologies like feed additives, earlier slaughter stock for about another million to a million and a half tons. And we're going to depend on early stage uh, technology at the minute, like uh, uh, feed additives uh, at pasture, breeding lower meeting animals. So that's research that we're dependent on in the future or very early stage development at the minute. So really the current um, mitigations that we know in the MEC, if we can implement those as fast and as, 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 um, as hard as we can, we'll get us to 2025. And I suppose this is where the, the fertilizer comes in. Uh, this is basically breaking down the 2 million tonnes of emissions we can reduce by known technology we have today. And if I look at it here, Really what the Chagas Mac is, it's the marginal abatement cost curve. It's a list of about 14 actions that farmers can undertake at farm level to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And just looking at it here, <clears throat> we take the wider the bar, the greater the effect that this individual item has on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So the ones I'm going to concentrate on this morning are uh, nutrient use efficiency, which is lime uh, and P and K, soil fertility. Uh, clover is the other one as well in here. Uh, fertilizer type and quantity has a huge bearing on the emissions to 2025 and low emission slurry spreading. So helping to reduce our total fertilizer used. So our low emission, low emission slurry spreading, our clover and our nutrient use efficiency, they're all helping to reduce the fertilizer used. But we'll also look at the fertilizer type uh, and how that has an effect on emissions as well. And just to, I suppose, bring, bring the Mac and to look at it, and there is a few tables here. There's a few kind of replicas of each other, so we'll be, we'll be, we'll be concentrating on the, the main point. So we bring forward the Mac. Uh, protected urea in the Chagas Mac is dependent on 50% of all can use in the country switching to protected urea. Uh, and that gives 28% of the results in the Mac uh, by improving our lime P and K, uh, what's in the MAC is that 22% of all land in the country would receive three tonnes of lime per acre. That will give us another 6% reduction uh, on our emissions in the MAC. Uh, clover is dependent on 25% of beef farmers, 15% of dairy farmers incorporating more clover, uh, giving 4% of the reduction emissions in the MAC. And low emission slurry spreading, 50% of the slurry to be spread with low emission slurry spreading or more environmentally friendly slurry spreading, uh, giving a 6% uh, reduction in the MAC. So when we, we look at these three here, uh, reducing fertilizer, that's what they're all about, clover, soil fertility, and low emission slurry spreading, it's about reducing nitrogen use, and then changing the type of fertilizer, uh, it's giving about just shy of half of the actions that we have to get us to 2025. 
almost a million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent. And if we look at the Climate Action Plan came out just before Christmas, uh, actually, that is actually looking at a, a higher target of 65% of all can switch to protected urea. It's looking at a target of 90% of all slurry by 2030 spread with low emissions slurry spreading. And it's looking at reducing chemical fertiliser by 15% by 2025 and by 20% by 2030. Okay? So I suppose when we look at it here, the fertiliser, reducing fertiliser and the type of fertiliser we use has a huge bearing on the mitigations or what we're depending on to get us to 2025, first of all. And to put it into context, each year, agriculture to 2025 has to show at the end of the year that we've reduced our emissions by 2.5% on the previous year. So the emissions for 2021 had to be 2.5% lower than 20. The emissions for 22 had to be 2.5% lower than 21 and so on out as far as 2025. So really what we're talking about this morning here is protected urea, lime, clover, and more environmentally friendly spreading of, of, of slurry. If we go after those, the way farmers will go after them uh, in the next couple of years, it really will give us the same as reducing or meeting our, our targets or our uh, obligations for, the year, for three years from 21 to 23. And just maybe a small little graphic to show the effect that fertilizer type and quantity has on the national picture. And what this is showing here is the infographic that the EPA produced in around September, October each year for the reduction on our emissions from the previous year. And what I just want to show from these slides here is in 2019, uh, we reduced our agricultural emissions by 4%, which was huge in 2019 from 18. The main driver was fertilizer use was down 10% overall. Uh, so fertilizer uh, quantity and type had a huge bearing on it. And when I look at 2020, uh, our emissions went up 1.4%. The main driver behind the increase in emissions was 3.3% more fertilizer used on farms. Uh, the stock numbers, well, the dairy cow numbers went up in 19. They were offset by reduced suckler numbers. And while they went up in 2020, uh, they also were offset by reduced suckler cow numbers. So I suppose that the point of this graphic is, Huge implications that the the the, the, the more the, the less fertilizer we use, it reduces our emissions. The more fertilizer we use, it increases our emissions. So huge bearing on our overall emissions. And look, what I want to maybe look at next of all, I think Mark, you're nearly at a hundred signpost series webinars at this stage. I think it's the first time the washing machine has appeared in it. So on on preparation for this morning, I said, how can we actually look at fertilizers uh, the way other industries look at their products from an environmental point of view? And I suppose from an environmental point of view, if we look at washing machines, they're all rated on a, on a, a rating from a, a triple plus to a D. And uh, the washing machines, they're rated on their usage of water, electricity use, and even their noise uh, that comes out of them as well. But the one thing when we look at the washing machines, uh, at this stage, 88% of washing machines are A triple A rated. So the point is uh, that... When you go into the shop, the decision is already made for you. You're really buying the more efficient and environmentally, more environmentally friendly product the minute you go in there. So that's probably a point we need to get to with our fertilizer used in as well. And if we look at the same with, with cars, uh, again here, what this, gra this graphic is showing is the, the emissions per kilometer uh, for um, car journeys from 2005 to 2018. And the emissions per kilometre travelled have reduced by 
between 20, so 2007 and 2017. So cars have become 32% more efficient. And the ironic thing is, if we actually look at our agricultural industry, we can only do a replica slide for our dairy cows, which have become 35% more efficient uh, from the year 2010 to 2021. So uh, farmers are uh, becoming more um, environmentally conscious in the sense that their animals are becoming more productive, help reducing our emission intensity per litre of milk produced. So how can we have a, have a go at trying to rate our fertilisers? And I suppose this is where we need to maybe change our mindset going forward. How do we actually rate fertilisers? So look, to have a stab at it, uh, we said we'd look at can urea and protected urea. So this is the, the rating for the, the washing machines. Uh, and if we look at CAN, CAN is, has a lot of nitrous oxide emissions. Uh, it's good for ammonia emissions. And the nitrous oxide emissions are the most uh, environmentally damaging of the emissions coming from fertilizer. So CAN would kind of more or less get a C rating along our rating mark. Um, urea. Uh, urea is very good, uh, uh, four times more environmentally friendly from a nitrous oxide point of view. But urea has substantial ammonia emissions. So it's a, a good environmentally friendly uh, fertilizer. So we give it an A rating. So we look at protected urea then, and protected urea is four times lower in nitrous oxide emissions than can. And it's also uh, substantially lower in ammonia emissions than urea. So protected urea, you'd probably be giving it a, an A double plus or an A triple plus rating. But I suppose the one thing that struck me when I was looking at this and trying to pull a rating together for it is. If we look at electric cars, which would have probably the highest rating for um, cars, or if we look at um, the more efficient washing machines, the more uh, environmentally friendly they are, normally the more expensive the product becomes. And I suppose this is the big difference with our protected urea. Uh, as it happens, the most environmentally friendly fertilizer that is available to, to us as an industry is also the cheapest product that we can use. So to bring this forward, then, like how would this work on a, on a farm scenario? So I'm going to pick um, a, a farm representing the average dairy farmer in Ireland. And contrary to what you read in the media times, the average dairy farmer in Ireland is milking around 90 cows. So I've taken a farmer with 90 cows, 22 heifers. He's 22 heifer calves coming on. He's a bull to mop up the cows at the end of the breeding season. So about 113 livestock units, pretty much a one man or one woman operation with some family labour involved. Farmer farming 50 hectares of ground, stocked at about 2.26 cows per hectare, so in derogation territory. And the fertilizer used in this farm last year was 11,150 kilos of nitrogen. Now, there was also some P and K used as well. So roughly about 223 kilos of nitrogen per hectare used on this dairy farm. Uh, and look, this dairy farm, in fact, was in derogation, would have a, a, a derogation or a derogation plan or nutrient management plan. And a substantial number of farmers in the country have nutrient management plans where it gives them a breakdown of their soil fertility. Now, this is a different dairy farm, but just looking at the soil fertility, uh, very good here for lime, uh, very good for pea, but lacking slightly on K. OK, uh, but I suppose for farmers that don't have nutrient management plans, it's really then, I suppose, going back and looking at the fertilizer they used last year to see how much nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium they have used in order to see what kind of fertilizers they could use for 2022. 
So we look at his dairy farmer here, and uh, as it transpired, this dairy farmer used 24 tonnes of cutsward last year uh, because they wanted to get out their, their P and K. And to balance up their fertiliser, they used 20 tonnes of can. So if we go back and we look at cutsward, cutsward is 24% nitrogen, it's 2.5% phosphorus, and it's 10% um, potash. So to, to convert those to how many kilos are in a tonne of product, you add a zero. So in a tonne of cutsward, there's 240 kilos of nitrogen, there's 25 kilos of phosphorus, and there's 100 kilos of potash. In, in can, we have um, 270 kilos of nitrogen, there's zero phosphorus, zero potash. So basically, if we just work through the figures, the calculation with 24 tonnes of cutsward, uh, this farmer put out uh, 5,760 kilos of nitrogen, and with the 20 tonnes of can, 5,390. So 11,150 kilos of nitrogen. Okay, So that's where we got the figure from the previous slide here. That's the total amount of nitrogen the farmer used. Um, so when we look at the phosphorus then, there were 600 kilos of phosphorus came from the, the cutsward, and there was also then 2,400 kilos of potash, again coming from the cutsward fertilizer. Now, what I mentioned a while ago there in relation to emissions, uh, that uh, protected urea is the most environmentally friendly source of nitrogen, followed by urea, followed by can. And from work coming out of Johnson Castle on some of the small trials they've done down there in relation to uh, compound fertilizers, uh, what's coming through in the work is that Cutsward and Pastures Ward have emissions something similar along the likes of can, whereas our products like 18612 and 101020 have lower emissions and are more environmentally friendly forms of compound fertilizer. Okay? So this is another positive for the industry that we can maybe concentrate some of our P's and K's into a smaller amount of compound fertilizers, opening up more opportunity for protected urea at farm level. So just to follow through here, we're going to look at this dairy farmer. And um, the first option we're going to look at is that this farmer does nothing that uh, force a habit He's going to ring up his um, supplier of fertilizer and order the very same fertilizer as last year. He's going to order 24 tons of uh, cutsward. And I've taken a price of 835 euro a ton uh, for the purpose of my calculation. Now, I might be up or down slightly on some of these uh, products here, but they're within the ballpark range within the last week or 10 days. Um, option two then is we're going to leave our cutsward in there for the, um, for the dairy farmer, but we're just going to change our can to a more environmentally friendly fertilizer in the form of protected urea. And the third option then is I'm now going to concentrate my P and K, my 24 tons of cutsward. I can get the same amount of P and K in with 10 tons of 18612. And I'm now opening up more possibility for more protected urea in my fertilizer program. Now, but by doing that, I'm a little bit low on the amount of potash I'm using. So I'm going to have to use 2.4 tons of potash with option three, at 715 euro a ton. Okay, so option one is business as usual. Option two is our, our um, higher emitting compound fertilizer with our most environmentally friendly form of nitrogen. And option three is our most environmentally friendly form of P and K fertilizer, and also our most environmentally form, environmentally uh, friendly form of nitrogen fertilizer. So how does that play out for the farmer on the ground? So we look at option one first of all. So, so our, our, our higher emitting uh, compound and higher emitting nitrogen fertilizer. And for 2022, his 
Fertiliser programme he brings it forward from last year is going to cost him a horrendous €34,000 for 2022. Uh, that's about €300 Euro for each dairy cow in his farm. And to put into context, about €15,000 to €16,000 Euro, Euro probably would have bought him the same amount of fertiliser in 2021. And just looking at it briefly here, about half our fertiliser business as usual with this farmer is in the form of straight nitrogen. So we're going to go to option two now, where we have our cuts ward, our, our, our um, less environmentally friendly compound with our, our top rated um, end source in the form of protected urea. And in that scenario, just by changing the can to protected urea, we're saving the farmer €2,725. Euro. So they're doing nothing, only changing from uh, can to protected urea. And they're changing from 20 tonne of can to about 12 tonne of protected urea. We're going to go to option three now. So we're going to go for a most environmentally friendly form of compound fertilizer, followed by our more environmentally friendly form of nitrogen fertilizer and protected urea. And by concentrating more of the fertilizer in the protected urea format, so we're now gone from 48% to 84% of our fertilizer in protected urea. And we're still getting it out the same amount of P and K. We're, we're, we're concentrating it more on higher P and K compounds we're now bringing the figure down to 28,900 euro. Okay, so we've dropped it by almost another two and a half thousand euro. So really, I suppose if we're looking at it here, going from the least environmentally friendly compound fertilizer and the least environmentally friendly nitrogen fertilizer to the most environmentally friendly compound and the most environmentally friendly nitrogen source of fertilizer, we have actually saved the dairy farmer 5,000 euro. Now, to put that into context, it's about €100 Euro per hectare, €40 Euro an acre, or the farmer has given themselves a one cent a litre increase in their milk price. That's really what it equates to. Okay? So the most environmentally friendly fertilisers are also having a huge benefit to saving the farmer money in their pocket. And just to follow on, I suppose that the extra good news on this one is, again, option one, the least environmentally friendly option, option three being the most environmentally friendly option, we're going from 54 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent for our least environmentally friendly fertilisers to 34 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent for our mid-range uh, environmentally friendly options, to 17 tonnes for our most environmentally friendly options. So we're actually bringing it from 54 tonnes carbon dioxide equivalent to 17 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent. So we're saving 37 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent. And if we take it at a cow, uh, produces a, a kilo of carbon dioxide equivalent for every kilo of milk produced on farm, the average cow or the cow in these farms, uh, if we convert this 37 tonnes of carbon dioxide into cow equivalents, it works out at about seven cows. Okay, So by changing fertiliser type, we're saving €5,000 for the average dairy farmer and we're reducing the emissions by changing fertiliser type alone by seven cows. Now, if we can also get in there and reduce our fertilizer usage by another 10%, that could actually bring the total reduction from 5,000 to about 7,500, 8,000 euro for the farmer. So the good news is the most financially advantageous fertilizer choice for dairy farmers for 2022 also transpires to be the most environmentally friendly option uh, for dairy farmers at the same time.
And if we, if we complete the same scenario with, with a, a dry stock, a, a beef case study, uh, and, and our, our average kind of beef farmers in around 34 hectares roughly, so this farmer is a little, a little uh, larger than the average beef farmer. So we'll take a farmer with 38 cows, there's 36 um, cattle being finished, there's 36 cows on the farm, there's a bull there as well. So 75 livestock units. Farmer stocked uh, below derogation territory using 5,160 kilos of nitrogen per year. So about 122 kilos of nitrogen per hectare, 100 units per acre. And again, this farmer is using 8 tonnes of cutsward fertiliser, 12 tonnes of canned fertiliser. And when we go through the calculations again for what a tonne of cutsward is worth um, 240 kilos of nitrogen, 25 kilos of phosphorus, 100 of potash, the same principle of 270 kilos for a tonne of can. The farmer was using his 5,160 kilos of nitrogen, uh, 200 kilos of phosphorus, and 800 kilos of potash. Okay? So that's how the figure of 5,160 kilos of nitrogen has been worked out. So again, with our dairy example, we're going to do the very same principle with our, with our beef farmer. So we're going to use our same fertilizer prices as we used in our, our dairy farmer example. So option one was business as normal. So we're going to stay with our eight tons of cutsward and 12 tons of can. Option two is we're going to stay with eight tons of cutsward. And we're going to change the can to seven tons of protected urea. And option three is we're going for the most environmentally friendly compound, 3.3 tons of 18612, 9.9 .9 tons of protected urea, and a ton of muriated potash. And again, all these three options, uh, business as usual, the mid-range environmentally friendly option, and option three is the most environmentally friendly option, are all delivering the same amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash to this beef bar. And again, when we run through the, the financial benefit for this beef farmer, so again, we look at option one, where they go with their cutsward and can, so that's business as usual, where they pick up the phone, they order their fertilizer, the person at the end of the phone already knows what they're going to order, because I suppose that's the one thing that we're discovering with fertilizer, type of fertilizer farmers use on a year-to-year -year basis, and an awful lot of it has to do with habit. So this year for that beef farmer, uh, the cost is about 15,000 euro, so by swapping out the can to protect the urea, we can save this beef farmer 1,600 euro. And then by swapping out our lesser environmentally friendly compound option to a more environmentally friendly 18612 option and concentrating our P&K, opening up more opportunity for protected urea, we can save a further 600 euro on this farm. Okay? So by going from the least environmentally friendly compound, the least environmentally friendly nitrogen source, to the most environmentally friendly compound, the most environmentally friendly nitrogen source, we're saving this beef farmer 2,282 euro. And that equates to a saving of about 54 euro per hectare, 20 euro an acre. Or if you break it back onto the amount of beef coming off this farm, it works out at about 18 cent a kilo on carcass weight. And you can see here by going from business as usual to trying to get more protected urea in, we're moving from 63% of all fertilizer as straight nitrogen source by going after 18612 to concentrate the P and K going out on the farm. We're actually able to nearly get 90% of our fertilizer out in a straight nitrogen form, allowing more opportunity for protected urea. And again, look, the good news story on this one is 
if we look at our, our option one, our least environmentally friendly um, uh, compound fertilizer and our least environmentally friendly nitrogen fertilizer, we're talking about 25 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Our option of the cuts ward and the protected urea is reducing us back to 13 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, so saving us 12 tons. But if we go one step further then and concentrate our P's and K's into our 18612 and our more environmentally friendly um, source of nitrogen, we're now able to bring the 25 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent down to seven tons. So we're saving 18 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. And to put that into context, we're looking at 18 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. A suckler cow someplace in the region of about three and a half to four tons of carbon dioxide equivalent it's the same as reducing the emissions overnight of between four and five suckler cows. So in both our options, on the dairy option and on the suckler option, by going after the more environmentally friendly fertilizer, maximizing opportunity for protected urea and for our more environmentally friendly compounds in there as well, we're reducing our emissions on the two case study farms by between six and 7%, massive saving on emissions. But the good news is it's also saving about 20 euro an acre on the beef farm and about 50 euro an acre or per cow on the dairy farm. So I suppose, Mark, maybe just to summarise then in relation to what I've been, been covering there, look, I suppose um, the big thing when we look at the MAC, that there's about half the items in the MAC that are related to the quantity and the type of fertiliser that we can use uh, up to 2030. So the quantity and the type of fertiliser are really our main technologies to get us to 2025. And that's why as an industry, we have to try and get to lower amounts of fertilizer and the more environmentally friendly types of fertilizer as soon as we can <clears throat> for the whole industry to benefit. And I suppose the next thing we need to do then is we need to reduce the total amount of nitrogen we're using on farms. And that's where the environmentally friendly slurry spreading or the low emission slurry spreading comes into play where we're getting more nitrogen retained from the slurry, helping to reduce our chemical nitrogen. And like farmers, they have done incredible work over the last decade to actually reduce their, their emissions. Uh, and if you look even with the slurry, um, we've gone from zero to 36% of all slurry in the country uh, being spread by low emission slurry spreading in about a three year time frame. So farmers deserve massive credit for it. The other way of reducing our fertilizer is by incorporating more lime in, when we get the lime right on the ground, we release free nitrogen and free phosphorus from the ground. And again, credit, credit where credit is due to farmers and as opposed to wanting with lime, and we're very conscious of where a lot of our fertilizer comes from and um, the, the, the whole scenario, the, our, our, our poor uh, colleagues in Ukraine at the minute and, and uh, fertilizer come from Russia. Uh, I suppose lime is really a local fertilizer. Uh, there's plenty of it around in the country and it has a massive implication of reducing the total amount of nitrogen we need to use. And in relation to that one, it looks like we hit a 40-year high last year for lime usage, not far from a million and a half tonnes, more than likely, uh, from, from information from our colleagues in Johnson Castle. And we need to be hitting 2 million tonnes a year in order to help reduce the amount of nitrogen uh, to where we need to get to. Clover then, by getting the soil fertility right, that will also help to reduce nitrogen use on farms. But the other big one, and I suppose, uh, look, the protected urea, and I suppose, why is there such uh, pressure being put on protected urea? Why is there such uh, information out on protected urea? I suppose, number one, it has huge financial benefits for the farmers uh, to change over to protected urea. And I suppose the first thing we need to look at when we're talking about changing from protected urea is to switch over to can. 
So that's just a switch, switch from straight nitrogen source from CAN, which is more uh, higher emitting uh, um, fertilizer straight to protected urea. But as well as that, we have to look at trying to maximize um, our, our uh, opportunity to get uh, protected urea into fertilizer programs. So it's about concentrating the P and K into like 18, 6, 12, 10, 10, 20, those type of products and trying to give as much opportunity as possible for protected urea. And I suppose the, the good news in this one is that uh, environmental gains also equal uh, financial gains as well to the farmer. So maybe to sum up on that one, Mark, I suppose maybe I'll finish up with this, this slide here. And I suppose, look, really, I suppose my big message from this morning to everyone on the, the, the signpost webinar is, look, we're all part of a, a bigger industry. And I suppose they say, uh, it takes a village to rear a child, and it really takes an industry to change perception about fertilizer, fertilizer use, and cost savings for all our farmers uh, who are out there up early in the morning calving cows and working late in the evening, that we need to help to direct them or to signpost them to uh, cost savings for 2022 and also towards reducing their emissions. Because my take-home message, Mark, is look, we need to, to, to prioritize spreading protected urea It'll save us money, it'll save us emissions, and I suppose it'll help us all to be a little bit happier. So thank you very much, Mark, and it's over to you, I suppose, for, for questions after that. Apologies, rushing through a little bit. No, at all. No, 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 you're, and you're perfect on, on time, perfectly so. Uh, and do just remind it to everybody, if you do have questions for Seamus, please do use the Q&A tab at the bottom of the screen there. Um, and Seamus's uh, presentation will be available on the Chagas website. I know some of you have been asking the question, will the presentation be available? It will be available on the Chagas website in the coming days, along with a recording of today. And uh, you can access the webinar on the uh, podcast platform also. Uh, Seamus, thanks. You went through an awful lot there in a relatively short period of time. Um, the, the challenge there to achieve this reduction to 16 to 18 tonnes by 2030, uh, 2030 um, and we're saying that the, this current MAC will bring us as far as 2 million tonnes. How important are we around those other technologies coming on stream? You just broke up a little bit, Mark, sorry. How... How confident are we about those newer technologies coming on stream? Yeah, yeah. I suppose a very good question, Mark. Look, I suppose they're in um, nearly ready to roll at this stage, some of them. So we're talking about an earlier age of slaughter. And like, I suppose farmers have to be given massive credit. In the last decade, Mark, they have reduced the age of slaughter in the last decade by two months. So we're asking them to do in the next decade really to replicate what they've done in the last decade. So that's a lot of new technologies. It's about breeding. It's about uh, better feed efficiency, it's about better quality silage. So those technologies will definitely work on farm. Um, I suppose the, the technologies were, will be dependent on Mark to get us to 2030 is the, the whole genetics and trying to pick animals that are lower emitting, but will give the same productivity. Uh, they're the ones that are early stage at the minute. So they're the ones we're kind of maybe a little bit more in hope of at the minute. Uh, they're early stage technologies. But the, like, I suppose the big thing is the Mac we know they work at the minute and there's nothing rocket science about them uh, we know lime works we know clover works we know getting the p and k right works we know better breeding works uh, we know changing fertilizer type works so we need to stop talking about it now at this stage and just start implementing those ones the next ones coming on board we know they will work as well it's the third stage marker or the third generation shall we call it they're the ones at the minute is the early stage 
And I suppose it's it's we have to, we have to trust the science and wait for the our, our scientific colleagues to come up with the answers for those ones. If that maybe answers your question. Yeah, no, no, that's perfect. Thanks, Seamus. Um, and how how from your experience, uh, you you've been talking to a lot of farmers and and advisors over the last few months. I mean, what what's the response to uh, the protected urea piece in particular? Uh, I mean, it, and and obviously, and, and in industry. I know you've been you've been talking to industry about uh, the the adoption of this. Yeah. Um, look, to be honest, Mark, I, I think when when the when the information is, and I suppose look, there's a big education piece here for for farmers and for industry and for all ourselves. I suppose uh, we know a lot more now than we did maybe two years ago. Um, and I suppose a lot a lot of it is to do with habit. Um, as they say, look, if you tell a smoker they're giving up smoking is better for their health, it doesn't really work. You have to have to want to do it yourself. And it's the very same with fertilizer. An awful lot of it from from the conversations we're having is it's habit. Farmers will kind of buy the same product they bought last year. But when the conversation is had with them of maybe why would you switch over or wouldn't you switch over, like uh, uh, 3-tonne protected urea, we give the same amount of nitrogen as 5-tonne protected urea. There's a saving of six to 800 euro a tonne there. When that is explained to farmers, they're very much on board to change over product type within that stage. And I think our industry partners, Mark, they have to be given great credit. They're coming on board and even some of our industry partners uh, have, um, I know one of the the, the, the bigger cooperatives, they have now incentivized their farmers that if they do the right actions, they will actually give them rebates uh, where they'll actually give them, uh, they've given so much off for a ton of protected urea. So it's incentivizing farmers to do the right thing. I know another one of the, the major cooperatives in the country, they're incentivizing that the farmer takes the right action, they'll give them maybe up to half cent a litre on their milk price. So that is having the big bearing of how farmers are looking at kind of product in the best stage. Well, look, I suppose farmers, Mark, a lot of time they're so busy and I suppose, look, there's a, there's a lot of uh, very weird, there's a lot of anxiety there, there's so much change and flux. It's very hard at times to sit down and to go through, look, this can save me 5,000 euro in the year that's in it is an awful lot of money. So it's sitting down and I would say to every farmer or any industry professionals this morning, work out what fertilizer the farmer spread last year. Look at how could they convert that to more like likes of 18612s and protected urea. And it actually shocked you when you go through the kind of savings are there. And when farmers see the savings mark, they're very much on board for, for switching on to the product in the vestige. Yeah, I think it has been a wake-up call for a lot of people. They, you know, I suppose looking at the exposure to external markets and uh, you know, what's in the, the the geopolitical situation at the moment in Ukraine and Russia, I think a lot of people are probably asking those questions about, you know, am I, how, how reliant am I on external uh, inputs, uh, particularly when it comes to fertilizer. Or how can I use it more efficiently? So it's it's, it's look, it's great that, that we're having that conversation really, and it's it's tying in with our, our targets on the, the climate side of things. Um, Porik, some some interesting questions coming through from our, our audience here. Lots of questions coming through, um, and thanks very much. Keep them coming. Um, I guess just you, you touched on the geopolitical situation, Mark. I, I guess it's fair to say the fertilizer prices have been increasing long before. Um, the, the ongoings in the Ukraine are taking place. So mm-hmm. people have been looking at alternatives for a long time. Um, and I suppose I put the question to Seamus myself, where should farmers go to get those calculations done? Like you've brilliant case studies there, a lot of detail gone into them, a lot of thought gone into them. Um, I'm sure like you're very lucky you have access to the likes of Mark Plunkett, you have access to numerous specialists and obviously your own skill set, you're doing it for years. So there's a wealth of experience there in looking at these calculations. It's Fertilizer is a very complex issue. Soil science is a very complex issue. Where would you advise a farmer to go in the morning to make that plan for themselves? 
Yeah, I suppose a starting point, um, um, Porrick, is, look, go and find out what fertilizer used last year, first of all. That's the, the very first thing I'd say to any farmer. Step and one, yeah. it, it, it's as simple as, look, how many tons of, of can, how many tons of maybe what's water, pastures water they used last year. And just go through the calculation to how many thousand kilos of nitrogen, how much phosphorus, how much potassium. After that, I would suggest in um, Porrick, the, the best starting point is, right, if I change over to 18612, how many tons of 18612 do I need to use to use up the same amount of P or phosphorus fertilizer I used last year? Uh, you then figure out what's the gap then of how much nitrogen you need to make up and work out how many tons of protected urea do you need to use to use up the same amount of nitrogen on top of the 18612 for last year. And the final part of the jigsaw in Porrick is uh, to see then is there a gap there on the phosphorus and you, sorry, in the, on the and the potash, and do you need to use the likes of mural potash, and how many tons of mural potash? So really, you're converting from the tons of fertilizer used last year to 18612 protected urea mural potash for this year. You didn't go in get the price of last year's products, this year's products, and you try and work out then, if I change from what I've used last year to this year, how much will it save me on my farm? But as, 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 as a ballpark, 50 euro per cow, Dairy farms can save this year by changing from to 18612 and protected urea uh, rather than the 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 cane and the cut past cut and pastures ward uh, compounds. And, and are there additional rounds or because there's more splits? I guess you're using different products. You're going to be driving across fields more often from a, an overall environmental perspective and from a labour perspective at farm levels. Are there differences in the amount of effort required? Um, you know, we're talking about savings purely on a fertilizer basis. Purely on yeah. the nitrous oxide and ammonia emissions basis. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, on that one, Porrick, I suppose it, the good news is that, especially in the grazing ground, you're actually concentrating your P's and K's in quicker. So you're actually getting them out in less rounds, if anything, and you're opening up then that you can go with just nitrogen across the whole farm then in the form of urea. It actually simplifies the, 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 the grazing scenario. Now, okay. fairness, and in, the, in, the, in the, the silage scenario, it may mean splitting your silage application that you go to 18612s, first of all, and then come along with a second application of protected urea. We, we find with a lot of farmers anyway, I suppose with the price of fertilizer, uh, Porik, no matter what fertilizer they're choosing, they're planning on only splitting their silage application this year, just in case of the rain after putting it out and they'd lose any bit of it anyway, especially with the price of it. So there's not huge, I suppose the, the other a small little maybe change and psychologically is a protected urea. Obviously, a big bag of it will go a lot further, Porik. You've you've 40, 400 and, uh, 460 kilos of nitrogen in a bag of it versus uh, 270 in, a, in in the same bag of, of can. So some farmers may need to get as little gadget you can get, little spike that you drop the big bag on, and it actually yeah, acts as a that you actually maybe take half the bag out at a time. So there will be some practical changes that the farmers will have to make to uh, try and make a more practical at farm level. Just in comparison to this time last year, Seamus, where, where would your thoughts be on availability of, of protected urea? Yeah, well, to be honest, uh, Porik, I suppose that from talking to our, our colleagues in, 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 uh, and partners that are selling fertilizer, they obviously have to sell the fertilizer they have in the air, first of all, and that's quite acceptable. Uh, but, but very much from talking to our industry partners, uh, they're hoping to get a lot more protected urea in uh, from the next deliveries of fertilizer that come in at at, um, at 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 industry level, um, but again, the farmers, if they want protected urea, it's not a job. Porik is in today. I'm going to get protected urea now, and I'm going to get delivered out next week. 
they need to go and drive the demand in time to give the the industry uh, partners enough time that they have the product in the yard when they when they when they come uh, looking for it. Uh, so it, it, there's a lead in there as well for it. Yeah, and, and just to, uh, going back to your case studies as well, have you looked at, you mentioned habit, um, and habit around spreading slurry is probably something that can be included in that as well. Have you looked at the inclusion of using trailing shoe versus splash blade versus spreading it at the right time um, and the impact of that on nutrients at ground level and obviously nitrogen uh, utilization? Yeah, well, look, look, I suppose the simple facts for it, if, if we go with um, uh, slurry, spreading the splash plate in the summer, we get about three units per thousand gallons. If we just move it, into the springtime, and farmers have done terrific work this year and last year. They had to be given credit for what they've done and how they've used organic manures to replace chemical fertilizer coming into the country. Uh, so by moving that same splash plate on a lot of our dry stock farms, just moving it to this time of year, February, March, you're, you're actually going from three units per thousand gallons to six units per thousand gallons. So you're, you're doubling the, the nitrogen value in it. And then if we move from our splash plate in the spring to our low emission in the spring, we're moving from six to nine. So every step along the way is retaining more nitrogen. It's also helping re- reduce our ammonia emissions. And again, farmers have given credit for it. Like we reduced our ammonia emissions nationally last year, which is essentially the agricultural industry by 7%. Okay? And we have a target. We're still exceeding the target where we need to be. But when farmers are showing and, and given the, 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 uh, where they need to get to, they're fantastic people for actually for, for coming on board to, to deliver. Absolutely, absolutely. You're getting great praise here online for um for your analogies, Seamus. So you want to keep them coming. Yeah. Um, being well, somewhat I biased. Wife, I told the wife this morning. I was talking about a washing machine. She said, "Do you even know where it is in the house?" So just <laughs> just be careful. She could be watching. <laughs> um, they're always watching. Um, the use of a nutrient management plan, and I suppose being biased towards the seat I'm sitting in, you said if people have a, a nutrient management plan, should you not be saying go get a nutrient management plan so you can plan your lime application, you can plan your fertilizer application, you can plan everything essentially that you need to do with your soil from that point of view and take that to your your branch where you're buying your fertilizer or your, your advisor who prepares it for you that they can do similar to what you've done in your case study and give you the different options? Absolutely. In an ideal world, Park, we would want every farmer in the country to have a nutrient management plan. But I suppose in the real world, but those in derogations have to have a nutrient management plan. Those in inspections have a nutrient management plan. Uh, some of the bigger farms have nutrient management plans. This was in the real world that we have a lot of farmers that don't have nutrient management plans. Now, the one thing I will say is they have soil samples that are probably in a drawer that haven't been looked at in a long time. So what I would suggest maybe for anyone on, on the call this morning to, to, to get farmers to bring their soil samples to life. A simple one, if they're, if uh, literally the, the red top of a milk, two litre milk bottle, that represents index one, either for P or K. And the equivalent top of a bottle, I think you can get orange juice or, 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 or apple juice in some of the major supermarkets, I've heard not, not start naming brands at this stage, Boric. they actually come in the green, they represent index three and four. So if you put the, Put them up on the stake as you walk into the, the paddock. So if I have a red at the top and I have a green at the bottom, the red at the top is index one or two for P and the green at the bottom is index three or four for K. So I know going into that paddock that if I'm going to cut or pasture sward, it's not going to cut the mustard. I'm not going to be able to raise my levels where they need to be to reduce my chemical nitrogen and also to incorporate clover. If I go into a paddock and I see two greens, then uh, maybe one, Two rounds of 18612 will do me during the year. But we have to start bringing the information from the soil sample report out onto the farm. And I suppose I was with a group yesterday 
And the analogy I use, when the calf is born, you stick a tag in the rear. That's to identify that animal all the way through. So why don't we start sticking tags in every paddock in the country that when we walk into it, we know what the side fertility is like. It's better than dumping washing machines at the gate so you can identify yeah, with the yeah. bottle caps. No, actually, that's a very good idea, in fairness, to be able to label what's on the on the gate post um, with the field you're going into. And just you mentioned um, having your P's and K's right. There's a question in there about clover and incorporation of clover. Could you say a little bit about, I guess, the pH and where the P's and K's should be for optimum soil fertility to get the clover in place? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Look, I suppose the clover can nearly reduce your fertilizer by even in intensive farms by 40 to 50 percent. Okay. But for the clover to work, we need to have uh, our, our um, pH over 6.5. Okay. There's about maybe a third of dairy farms are at that level from a line point of view. We need our um, pH index 3, so over 5 parts per million, and we need our K over 150 parts per million index 3 as well. So we have to have the line, the P and the K right to give a best scenario to actually be able to to grow the clover. Uh, on farms, you're probably talking, even on the better dairy farms, probably 25% poric of uh, soil on even the best dairy farms are ticking all three boxes. So that's the starting point. Lime comes before clover. Clover is the cream on top of the churn. Uh, the milk in the bottom, that's the, the P and the K and the lime. That has to be right before we start worrying about the cream on top. Okay, okay. So first and foremost, get your soil samples. Start with them. So start with the soil. Even before you even go putting your plan together that, that you've got there for your case studies, the soil is well, the one. The first thing is take the soil samples, the amount of soil samples taken and are thrown in the drawer and never looked at again. Bring the soil samples to life. Mark the paddocks that you know when you go into the paddocks what they're like. So you're more conscious then of actually, um, of actually uh, what type of fertilizer you need when you go into that paddock. But I would also say to farmers, look, I know they're exceptionally busy calf cows at the minute. Take half an hour would probably do it. Get onto your, your, your supplier fertilizer from last year. Find out what you bought last year. See how many tons of 18612 protected urea potash you would need to replicate that amount of fertilizer and do the calculation on both. And it's frightening the amount of money. 5,000 euro for an hour. I'll take it any day of the week. And um, maybe it's a service we need to start providing for at this stage, but it's probably the best paying hour you could spend this year. You could get lots of calls, stick your number up at the end, James. Have you looked at any products like Omex or anything like that, any of the, the liquid nitrogens that are available on the market? You know, there are people saying that you can, because they're more targeted, they're more environmentally friendly, they're more... Uh, have you have you included them in any of your calculations? No, I haven't included in the calculations. Um, and to be honest, I, look, I wouldn't have enough information to, to comment on them this morning. Uh, I suppose, look, they're, they're, they're being looked at at the minute at uh, this, this early stages. I suppose, look, the vast majority, it's, it's, it's going to be our granular fertilizer we're going to be using. So, look, they haven't been built into the calculation for it. Okay. Just on your, um, your different options, there's a question in there in relation to, I suppose, the life cycle analysis of the different fertilizers. So, if you're using 18612 versus protected urea versus urea, like, have you looked at the carbon that's uh, required to create the urease inhibitor to incorporate it with the protected urea compared to an off-the-shelf product almost of 18612 that because it's produced in such large quantities it's down to a fine art it could actually be equally as efficient from a production point of view have you looked at the life cycle analysis of the the different options those figures we would use though uh pork would use the life cycle analysis so the 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 manufacturing the fertilizer would be in there as well which would kind of include inhibitor on that one and I suppose maybe in relation to protected urea as well, um, uh, I suppose coming from Ken, 
I suppose the, the, the big thing with the protected urea is that a lot of farmers think it's urea and look, it won't work during the summer. The good thing with the inhibitor, and you mentioned the inhibitor, Porik, really what the inhibitor does is it actually gives a slower release of the fertilizer, stops the emissions going to the air, it's holding the fertilizer in the ground for the farmer, but it also makes protected urea act the very same as can throughout the summer and the back end of the year. So that, that's a big psychological, and it's what's back to breaking the habit. The inhibitor makes urea become protected urea, and it makes the protected urea act very similar to can then for the summer months uh, when they're trying to grow grass. Just on pH. Sorry, just a, a question there coming in around the timing there, uh, Seamus, of um, protected urea. Is there a bad time to, to spread uh, protector urea, uh, taking account of look the the, the compared to normal fertilizer, normal um, cans. No, and to be honest, Mark, it, that's the good news. Does the the, the the they always say uh, when is the best time to to, to spread protected urea? Uh, today is a good time to spread it. Yesterday was even the better time to spread it. Protected urea will work uh, all through the year, and that's the one thing maybe with protected urea. That maybe people aren't aware of in the in the springtime when you put out ordinary urea, you're losing about fifteen percent, or sorry, about twelve percent of the product as ammonia emissions that you're not getting back down to grow the grass. Okay, mm-hmm. so it has the protected urea has a huge advantage over the urea in the springtime, where you're 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 holding on to that twelve percent loss, getting into the ground <coughs> and growing more grass, and it acts the same then as can for the summer. So to be honest with you, if you were looking at protected urea. It's nearly too good to be true. It's a huge technology we have on board. And to be honest, look, the analogy I'd use is protected urea is agriculture's answer to the electric car. And the quicker we get on board with it and the more of it we can use, uh, the quicker it'll get us to, to, to hit our targets that we have to hit. I think just in relation to that, Mark, it's still fair to say you want to watch rainfall. You know, I'm sorry, enough. sorry, yeah. for, absolutely. And you, you, you adhere to your buffer zones, your keep absolutely, the yeah. about two metres from any any open drain in the farm. So, uh, the, basically, Mark, you spread protected urea, same conditions as you spread any other fertiliser. It doesn't need any special conditions, which you obviously don't spread before a deluge of rain. Park. Just you. a question there um, in relation to protected urea and soil pH. We've got some people in saying that the, the response is poor with the protected urea in, in certain instances. Could that be due to low soil pH? Look, it, it's, it's like any fertiliser, the response will be poor or poor where the, the soil pH is lower. Now, that's another good news story with protected urea. Uh, when you normally go with lime at the back end of the year, you can't go with urea the following spring. With protected urea, with the inhibitor, mm-hmm. you can go with lime at the back end of last year and you can still go with protected urea this year straight away. So you, it acts the same as can. It saves you ammonia emissions uh, in relation to ordinary urea. Uh, and you can spread it uh, with the spring after spreading lime the previous uh, autumn as well. So Could you comment on the shelf life of it um, and, and the impact of the inhibitor? Yeah, uh, the, the, no, no, that valid, very valid point, Porik. Look, roughly about a six-month shelf life. And uh, you, I suppose the fertilizer being put out at the minute, probably a lot of it came into the country around September, October. I'm open to the correction on that one. So you can see maybe why it was a bit harder when there wasn't maybe the, the built-in demand there for the, the, the industry to bring it in uh, earlier in the year but any fertilizer coming into the country now is going to be used by the back end of the year and it should have no problem for it whatsoever with shelf life okay so it's really um, trying to incorporate it in as quickly and as much as possible clover on dairy farms used i think the target was 15 percent and 25 percent for beef farmers why the difference in in farmers just you had in one of your earlier slides yeah uh, i suppose on that one pork is that the, the beef farmers are a lower stocking rate so there's probably more potential 
to try and reduce or maybe eradicate uh, fertilizer in some cases, which actually could in turn help those bee farmers go into organics as another source of increasing their their uh, income as well. Now, the good news is if we go higher than those targets, Boric, it will actually help go more than the two million tons. And that's the point. The quicker and the harder we go with all oh, these yeah. actions, yeah. the better it is for us as an industry. What's the max pH for high molybdenum soils for clover growth, you know? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. On molybdenum soils, you're, you're going to be, uh, it's going to be lower than six at that stage, Porik. And it's, okay. going to be hard, it's going to be harder to maybe incorporate clover in some of those type of soils as well. But our mineral soils with, with good soil fertility, there's no, no, no reason why clover won't work. Clover safe spray, they were slow coming back last year. Um, obviously, we were, we were without them early in the spring and uh, they were missed. They're back now. Are they going to stay? Yeah, we have a derogation again for this year. Um, I won't name the spray, but there is one on the market. Um, so it is available. Um, and I suppose in other cases, uh, people are putting in the, the mix and they're trying to incorporate maybe the clover in after after using another spray. First of all, part that mightn't be clover safe. Uh, if you can get the clover safe spray and get as much, two kilos of clover per acre, that would be the recommended. So if you're really going to have the clover, it needs to be two kilos per acre for an incorporated clover. You won't name the spray. It was the washing machine a Whirlpool or a Hot Point? There was a name on it. I was working I late took, last night. I couldn't take it the, off. No. The, no. Um, <laughs> the percentage of uh, clover sown across the country. Have we any stats on what volume of clover is out there? And just to, we're running out of time now, so I'll, I'll bundle in one other question as well. For farmers that are considering clover, would you suggest over sowing or would you suggest starting afresh and reseeding with clover? The first thing I suggest, Porik, is they need to make sure the fields they're picking are suitable for clover. That's the first thing Very I would good, suggest. Yeah. So good for lime, P and K. After that, uh, I, if you're receding, I try and build into a receding program. If the ground is good enough, it doesn't need to be receded, try and incorporate it in there. But you have to change management practice. The graze are tighter during the grazing season. They leave the light down to the, the base of the, of, 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 the, of the sward in order to... to there's management involved. Like, yeah. there, there, there's management and upskilling involved as well. Absolutely. Okay, one more, Mark, if we can. Um, just on fertilizer usage, and you showed the EPA stats that the fertilizer usage has increased. Is there variation from year to year with increases in, in reseeding, for example? Uh, weather dependent porig, very much so. But look, I suppose fertilizer, we hit our peak in 2018. We, we came down off that in 19. We went up slightly in, in, in 20, a little off 18 all the time. Uh, but look, the trend long term is that we have to hit for about 15% less used on farms by 2025 and 20% less by 2030. Yeah, so that's uh, done then. Okay, thanks, Porik. Um, and yeah, the, a lot of questions there on the clover piece, and I'm still hearing from farmers that look they're they're putting it in, but maybe not adjusting their their nitrogen uh, regime, which is is obviously critical <coughs> survival of, of clover. So it's um very valid so point, Mark. Yeah, we, we have to we have to work on. Uh, look, Seamus, thanks again uh, for coming in at such no, short notice you've obviously a really strong story to tell there and you're yeah you're traveling the the highways and byways uh, sell, selling this uh really really important message so um we will no doubt hear back from you again and maybe check in with us and just let you know let us know how you how that's going um and uh, we might have some facts and figures uh, in terms of the the sales and of lime and clover and uh on fertilizers as well, just to, to see what sort of response we're getting there at, at a at farm level. So look, Porik, thanks very much for helping with questions. And um, we'll be uh, joined uh, by, I'm not sure who we have next week. We're going to be taking a close 
look at uh, energy uh, in the coming uh, months. So I know that uh, Barry Kazan, we're working with Barry to to improve, uh, to, to look at that side of things. So actually on the 11th of March, we're going to have David Hagen from Devonish and Russell Smith uh, from KPMG when we're talking about sustainability targets in agriculture yeah, and the agri-biomethane opportunity. So that will be an interesting one. So that's going to kick off our, our focus on, on, on energy over the next month. And we'll have Barry Kaslan joining us, uh, I think the week after then. Uh, looking at some of the, uh, the, the the policy side of the things there. So thanks very much again, Seamus and Horik, and uh, we'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.